In his book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Stephen Covey makes the case that all the activities of our lives can be divided up into four broad categories. The categories are important and urgent, important but not urgent, not important but urgent, and not important and not urgent. According to Covey, most people spend the majority of their time on things that are urgent but not necessarily important. He says that while urgent things are usually visible and require immediate attention, they are not usually terribly important to our lives. Covey gives a list of potential consequences for focusing on the urgent while neglecting the important. These consequences include stress, burnout, and short-term focus over long-term achievement. He says that the cure for this is to organize and execute around priorities, or as he says, to put first things first. And I'm sure I've read these sorts of ideas before, but as I'm reading through his book this time, I've become more and more convinced that he's right. I mean, how many of us would say that the, the bulk of the activities that, that get the most of our time really don't reflect what we would say are the greatest value of our lives? Uh, we would, if we were to say what is most important to us, we would list things here. And then we would say, okay, now what's, what gets the majority of your time? It would be largely other things rather than those. Um, how many of us would say perhaps that, that we spend more time putting out fires than we do on doing things that are truly important? And if we would say this, would we agree that this is the cause for most of our stress? Um, would you also agree that this is a reason maybe you don't set long-term goals because the, these urgent things tend to take up our time? Now, chances are we all tend to do this in one way or another. I believe it's even possible to do this in our relationship and our service to Jesus. We all know that our relationship and service to Jesus is important. In fact, I think if asked, we would say that is, that is the most important thing of, in our lives, that Jesus is central to who we are and what we do. Um, but our relationship and our service to Jesus often get squeezed out by things that are urgent but not nearly as important as Jesus is. And the result of this tends to be that we spend a lot of times neglecting the area we would say most important. This often leads to you know, guilt. It leads to us feeling as though we're not doing all that we should. There's just this constant sense of things aren't right in our lives. One of the areas of our relationship to Jesus that, that tends to suffer when we focus on the urgent over the important is sharing the gospel. I think we would all agree that the Bible mandates that all believers tell unbelievers about Jesus Christ. I mean, the, the great commission is to go and make disciples of all nations. This is for all believers in all times. And, and we would agree that because it is a biblical mandate, it is important to do it. And yet most of us, if we were honest, would say we are not as active in sharing the gospel as we should be. We might even go so far as to say we're not as active in sharing the gospel as we would like to be. And the reason for this is that we see the gospel, sharing the gospel as important, but we don't see it as urgent. We tend to feel that we have plenty of time to get onto this, to to tell someone about Jesus, but the fragile nature of life teaches us that reality is far different. We really don't have all the time in the world to share the gospel with others. 
we were to categorize sharing the gospel into Covey's uh, categories, it would be important and urgent. It's important because Jesus has commanded it. Anything Jesus has said believers are to do, that is important. It's urgent because heaven and hell are determined by, by one thing. One's connection to Jesus Christ. That's it. I mean, it doesn't matter if they're nice. It doesn't matter if they're a good employee. It doesn't matter if they attend church or have been baptized or are generous. The only thing that matters, that determines heaven and hell, where someone spends eternity, is their connection to Jesus. That is an urgent, urgent mission that we have been given. So tonight we're going to, tonight, today we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that will give us some practical ideas on how to go about this important and urgent mission that Jesus has given us. Open your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. That's page 100 and, I'm sorry, page 871 if you have a pew Bible. When you find that, I'll ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. Paul says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or in wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness, uh, to fear, in, in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. The title of the message this morning is Sharing the Gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you today. We praise you for your grace and your mercy, your goodness and kindness. Thank you for the opportunity to gather, study your word. Help us, God, to embrace the idea of sharing the gospel as both important and urgent to our lives. Help us to, uh, to, to really make this something that we prioritize in our lives. Help us to see opportunities that are around us. Help us to have the courage to take them, work through us to help people come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Give us the realization that this makes an eternal difference in someone's life. Therefore, it is incredibly important. It's incredibly urgent. Help us to feel the weight of this on our lives and as we go through our, our day-to-day activities and we embrace and we're, we're around other people. God, fill me this morning with your Holy Spirit. Give me a clarity of thought and a clarity of speech to speak your words and your ways for your glory. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. But you may be seated. The Apostle Paul is continuing his push to try to get them to to be unified, to, to quit dividing over things that ultimately do not matter. And as he does this, he begins to talk to them about how what happened when he came there, what it was like when he arrived in Corinth. And as he does, he tells us some really important principles to sharing the gospel. The first thing is, is actively look for opportunities. Actively look for opportunities. Now, Paul, it says in verse 1, and I, when I came to you, Paul made the intentional decision to go to Corinth. Paul went to a place that was spiritually dark, a place that was bound in idolatry and immorality. He went where really there were no Christians in Corinth when Paul arrived. He went and he looked for people all around him and he found opportunities to tell people about Jesus. That, that really is an example for us. You know, it's easy for us to kind of get into the mindset that probably most people know about Jesus. 
In Paul's day, it was very easy to realize people didn't. They were going to the temple of Diana. They were sleeping with sacred prostitutes. They were doing all kinds of wicked and immoral acts that were common, acceptable, encouraged in the culture. Uh, And so it was just obvious. But as we go about our daily business and we go through our lives, there aren't a lot of people that are out worshiping Diana and coming down from the temple. Uh, There aren't a lot of people that are making pagan sacrifices in our culture. There aren't a lot of people in Gaiman that, that that are just openly flaunting these sorts of things that was going on in Corinth. In fact, I would say that a lot of the people we know, maybe even most of the people we know, are overall pretty good people. They're nice. They're friendly. They're, they're not overly hateful. They'll help you in the time of need. They, they seem cheery and their lives, are, they, their lives seem like they're, they're okay, just like they are. And this can cause us to believe that, that, that the world around us, there really aren't people that don't know Jesus. And I would say to you, that mindset is wrong. Now, some say, well, that mindset may have been accurate about 50 years ago. Honestly, I don't think we have ever lived in a culture in America where everyone around us was Christians. We lived in a culture in America where everyone around us was maybe more moral and more outwardly concerned about appearances than they are now. But the world has always been a place that is filled with people that do not know Jesus Christ. The world has always been filled with people who who need to know Jesus Christ. And so as we leave this place today and tomorrow and all throughout our week, we are going to encounter loads and loads of people that, yes, they may seem happy, And yes, they may think their life is fine, and they may be moral and good spouses and good parents and good employees, but they do not know Jesus Christ, and their morals and their activities and their other actions will not save them in the day of judgment. What they desperately need is Jesus. And you and I, we are God's plan to take Jesus to them. And that is an important truth for us to understand. God could have chosen to do, make disciples of all nations any way He wanted. The way He chose, His plan A, is that for one believer to go to another believer and tell them about Jesus. That is plan A. There is no plan B. God is not going to write the gospel in the sky. He's not going to send an angel to visit them. He has us. You and I were saved in part to go Make disciples of all nations. Now, the world around us, everywhere in Gaiman, there are people that need Jesus. How do we find them? Where do we, how do we go about actively looking for people that need, need Jesus? How do we go about actively looking for opportunities to share the gospel? Now, when we start talking like this, a lot of times our minds go to, to going and knocking doors. Right? If you were in church 30, 20, 50 years ago, the most common way that people went about sharing the gospel was they, they got dressed up often in their Sunday best and they went out to random houses and they knocked on the door. And when somebody answered, they said, excuse me, I'm here from the Free Will Baptist Church and I would like to tell you about Jesus. Do you have a few minutes that I could talk to you about that? But now, for many of us, that's our idea of looking for opportunities. And for many of us, that very thought makes us nauseous. There's just a, a pit. The feeling in the pit of our stomach that says, oh, oh, 
lands of sakes alive, I hope that's not what he's about to call on us to do. Not because it's just a nerve-wracking thought. And while I think that going and knocking doors is an effective ministry, if you're gifted that way, if you're wired that way, most of us are not. I also tend to believe that most people do not want random strangers coming up on their door trying to sell them anything. Not cookies, not popcorn, not Jesus, not anything. Especially in Guyman. When we were in eastern Oklahoma, we went door knocking every week. Uh, people were very inviting. Come in, talk to me about it. Tell me about your church. What do you believe? We were never, never turned away. The only people that were even slightly rude were people from Ohio. You know how Yankees are. Um, but, but by and large, people from eastern Oklahoma were, hey, they expect that's what churches do. We came out here. We've, we've tried going and knocking doors out here. And what I found in, in years... Right? We, did, we did years of going out on a Saturday and knocking doors. We did years of Thursday night going and visiting visitors. Here's what, there are two truths we found out. Number one, if someone visits your church in Guyman, Oklahoma, and you randomly show up at their house without them knowing you're coming, they will never, ever, 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 ever come back to that church again. Not one visitor we ever followed up on ever came back. Not one. Now, not one, we're not talking about not one in a month. We're talking about not one in five years of going to visit people who visited the church. Not one. The people who came back were people who we did not find or people who weren't home when we went by or people who didn't fill out the visitor card and we couldn't follow up with. Not one person we ever actually saw ever came back in five years. The second thing is, if you just show up to tell them about Jesus, they have no time, no patience, and they do not want you. One guy, this was the funniest one, I was going to his house and he saw me coming and I guess I had my Bible out. And it was, I think, me and Kelly were out walking. He was walking down his driveway to go to get his mail. He saw us coming. He turned around. He went in the house, and he closed the drapes and locked the door. We didn't go to his house. I took that as a pretty good sign. He was not willing to talk to us on that day. I don't think we should go and just randomly knock doors. But that doesn't mean there aren't people all around us that need to know about Jesus, that we have opportunities to reach. I think we find an example of what to do from the Bible. In the Gospel of John, it says one of the two who heard John speak followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Notice what he did. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated to Christ, and he, he brought him to Jesus. A little bit later in the chapter, it says this. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, found Philip, and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said, Come and see. And in this we get an example of the way we are to do it. Now, neither of them, when they met Jesus, went out and randomly knocked doors. Neither of them just randomly went out and found a stranger and said, Can I talk to you about your eternal soul? Instead, both of them, they went to people they already knew and they said, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me do what I can to take you to Jesus. But this, is, this is, I think, the best way to do it. The best way to do it is to start with people we already know. If you've been here a while, you've heard me use the, the, the phrase frangelism before. Uh, frangelism, the, the fran is an acronym. First, it means friends. Do you have friends? Do any of your friends not know Jesus Christ as their Savior. 
Do you have friends, people you already have a relationship with, that know you, that know you go to church, that know Jesus is important to you, that do not know Jesus? In this group of people, there are opportunities to share the gospel with them. The R is relatives. Do you have relatives that don't know Jesus? Brothers, sisters, husbands, wives, children, grandchildren, cousins, nephews, nieces. Someone related to you who, do, who does not know Jesus as their Savior. If so, there is a mission field right there within your own family. There are and will be opportunities for you to tell them about Jesus. Associates. Do you have, do your, are your kids involved in a, in a team and there's other parents on that team? Do you have co-workers? Are there people, maybe you go to the same coffee shop every day to get coffee and you talk to the same what they call it a barista in Gaiman, or is that just in big cities? I don't know. Some, the same person give you the same coffee and, and wait on you every day, and they know you by name and they know what you order. If so, there's a mission field there, and there are opportunities in that group to talk to about Jesus. Are there neighbors? Do people live around you. Do they see you? Do they know you? Do they see you leave on Sunday morning? Do, they, do you have a relationship with them already? See, in our friends, there is a, a whole mission field. We don't even have to go to a bunch of people we don't know. Now, eventually we, we have to go to people we don't know because we won't make the disciples of all nations just focusing on those we do know. Starting with people we know is helpful for a lot of reasons. First off, it is people that we know. We already have a relationship with them. When we go to them and begin to talk to them about Jesus, they will know that we care about them and our talking to them flows from a place of care. They know we're not just trying to build our church to make it bigger. They know that we're not just trying to be impressive and, and impress people by how many people we've committed to pray a prayer. They, they know the life that we've lived. They know, they, they have seen in us the fact that Jesus matters. They have seen our actions and reactions and priorities. They have seen our light shine. And they, they know something is real and different about us. And there are opportunities there if we can see it. And, and I'm convinced this is something God wants. God wants us to tell people about Jesus. So the opportunities are there. We just have to look for them. I saw something once, and it said people who are afraid of spiders are like ten times more likely to find spiders in their bed and in various places. You know why that is? It's because people who are afraid of spiders look for spiders. And if you look for spiders, you're going to find a spider. People who look for opportunities to share the gospel find opportunities to share the gospel. The opportunities are there if we just have eyes to see them. So as we go throughout our week, go throughout a Christmas season, the Christmas season, look, actively look for opportunities among those you already know and have a relationship with about how you can share the gospel with them. The second principle we see in this is to keep the focus on Jesus. Paul says in verse 2 that I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now, I like that. Paul was there for a year and a half, one of the longest times he spent anywhere. And in a year and a half, Paul preached one message. 
Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now, we don't know how many services they had during the week. We don't know how many home Bible studies He conducted while He was there. But no matter how long, how many services they had or how many home Bible studies they did, when they gathered, Paul told them one thing that was most needful, that was most important. He told them about Jesus. So as we go and try to to evangelize, we go to share the gospel, let's make sure we are keeping the focus on Jesus. Jesus is what is most important about it all. So as we go, we have to be sure, one, that we know the message of Jesus. Right? It's not an overly complicated message. It's the message of a, of a Savior who came. Right? Was born of a virgin. Boy, this time of year gives us opportunities to even mention the fact Jesus was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. He did all kinds of good things and helped people and miracles and teaching. And despite all the good that He did, He was rejected by people. He was betrayed by one of His own. And He was turned over to the Romans who then crucified Him and killed him. But the crucifixion, the cross, wasn't a surprise. The cross was the point of it all. His whole point, he was born to die. And his death on the cross was not just the death, it was not the death of a martyr. It was the payment for the penalty of sin. And after he took all of the punishment that all of our sin deserved, he died and he rose again on the third day. He ascended into heaven. Now He ever lives to make intercession for us. And all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. He died that all people could know God in this life and have eternal life from here on out. So we we have to tell them about Jesus. If we have not told them about Jesus and His life and His death and His resurrection, we have not told them the gospel. And and one thing I, I want to point out and emphasize is it is important to say Jesus. It's not enough to say God. It's not enough that they, have, that they have God in their heart. It's not enough that they believe in God. Lots of folks believe in God. Muslims believe in God. Mormons believe in God. Jehovah's Witness believe in God. Pantheists believe in God. People who they, of the Hindu religion believe in gods. God is not enough. God... In our culture today, is too nebulous a term can be defined any way that we want it to be. We cannot just say, do you know God? Do you believe in God? That's not enough. They must know Jesus. They must believe in Jesus. We must tell them about Jesus. Because Jesus is not defined in a nebulous way. He is a specific person that came for a specific purpose and did a specific thing. That is who they need to know. We must tell them about Jesus, His life, His death, His resurrection, His power, and His desire to save. Now, a part of telling them about Jesus and His death is we have to mention sin. As much as we would like to say God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, that is not the gospel. We have to talk about the wages of sin is death. If I'm talking about Jesus dying on the cross, I have to explain why He died. Why did Jesus die? Well, if I'm going to explain that, then I have to talk about that fact that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That the wages of sin is death. That sin separated us from God and has caused us to be condemned, justly condemned in the courts of heaven. But Jesus took the penalty that our sins deserve so that when we believe on Him, the wrath of God can be taken off of us, placed on the cross, and His righteousness can be given to us, and we are righteousness of God in Christ. 
We have to deal with sin. We have to talk about both of those things. If they do not believe in Jesus, they do not believe the gospel, they are not saved. If we have not talked about sin, we have not shared the gospel. If they do not believe that Jesus died on the cross for their sin, they do not believe in Jesus, they are not saved. These things are, are critical in our sharing of the gospel. And as we try to talk about all of this, it's critical that we keep the focus on Jesus. That is where the, the emphasis must always be. Now, anytime you start bringing up these other issues, cross, his miracles, and things like that, people are going to try to distract us. Well, what about this? Well, what about that? And it, it is easy in sharing the gospel to get sidetracked to chase a rabbit trail that takes us away from Jesus, that allow them to build up a barrier to the message we're trying to share to them. We have to be sure that we're focusing on Jesus. And let me give you some just practical ways to do this. First, refuse to argue. Right? Refuse to argue. We're not going out to win an argument. We're trying to win a soul. Right? We don't want to argue politics. We don't want to argue immigration. We don't want to argue the fine other religions. We don't even want to argue the finer points of Christian theology. Right? If they ask a question and we can answer it, do so. If you can't answer it, say, let's, I'll find out an answer and go back to that. But let's get back to Jesus. Because in the end, people don't have a problem with evolution. They don't have a problem with the inspiration of Scripture. They don't have a problem with the church. They don't have a problem with individual believers. They have a problem with Jesus. And until they reconcile that, nothing else really matters. So refuse to get caught up in an argument and do all that you can to keep the focus on Jesus. Secondly, let the Bible be the authority. Always let the Bible be the authority. Someone says, well, I believe or I feel. It's fine. Don't necessarily argue with their feelings, but show them what the Bible says. What I do when I'm sharing the gospel and this sort of stuff comes up, just to be sure that they understand what I'm saying, I say, well, the Bible says. Uh, because it's not a matter of their opinion versus my opinion. Because if that's all that is, what makes my opinion better than their opinion? What matters is what the Bible says. So it may be they'll say something like, are you saying that if I don't believe in Jesus, I'll go to hell? How do you answer that? Here's how you answer that. That's what the Bible says. Not yes, that's what I'm saying, because I'm not saying that the Bible says that. Always go back to Scripture. Always go back to the authority of the Bible. The Bible is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. Right? It cuts to the heart and gets to what's going on in people's lives. Our opinions don't have the ability to do that. Our politics don't have the ability to do that. Our morals don't have the ability to do that. Only the Bible. So let the Bible be the authority. And if they say, well, I don't believe the Bible, say, well, that's fine. But that's still what the Bible says. Never back off the Bible as the authority. And then finally, be thick-skinned. This kind of goes back to don't argue. But a lot of people have a lot of reasons that they don't believe in Jesus. Some of them have had bad experiences in churches. And they say, well, churches are like this or this happened to me. Or they've had bad experiences with other Christians who have treated them badly and done things to them. And it's our tendency as believers, people that are part of a church, to try to defend believers, to try to defend the church. And what I'm going to encourage you to do is don't do that. This is not the time to defend that Christian. This is not the time to defend that particular church. 
this is the time to say something like, I am sorry that happened to you at church. I am sorry that Christian treated you that way. Why did they do me that way? I, I do not have any idea why a Christian would do that to you. That is certainly not the way of Jesus. Right? Be thick-skinned. Don't let... The minute we are thin-skinned and something gets under our skin, then we go into argument mode. And once we go into argument mode, our opinions weigh more than Scripture. You have to be thick-skinned and let things go and not get caught up in an argument. Right? Be sure that you're doing that. Focus, focus has to be on Jesus. Right? And, and with our culture today, our, our, our world is pretty polarized on all manner of issues. It's presidential election time, and that's a big thing. Immigration issues is a big thing. You know, things about Syria and refugees and, and homosexuality and all of this stuff is going on. None of that stuff matters in eternity. Person's view on Islam, person's view on Syrian refugees, a person's view on homosexuals and cakes and baking them and who they ought to vote for. None of that matters in eternity. None of that will save anyone. We always have to get the focus back to Jesus. Ultimately, that is the only message with the power to save. Paul said he was not ashamed of the gospel, for it was the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. That is the only message that saves, and that must be the focus of our preaching, of our sharing of the gospel. Now, let me quickly say, that doesn't mean we shouldn't talk about those other things. right? I'm not saying never have a conversation with someone about these other things. These are important things for our culture and our time. So having conversations about them is is a guarantee. There's just almost no way not to. What I'm saying is if you set out, you look for an opportunity to share the gospel, and then you begin to talk to someone about their need for Jesus, in that time and at that moment, you must not get sidetracked by insignificant temporal issues. Keep the focus on the message that saves. Keep it on Jesus. And then the final principle is trust in the power of the Holy Spirit. And when I think about Paul, I think about the guy who saw Jesus on the road to Damascus. I mean, can you imagine what a vision of Jesus like that must have been? I think about the guy who was able to, to work miracles. I mean, do you realize that, that Paul cast demons out of people? Paul touched people and they walked. And, and Paul did just, I mean, amazing miracles. Paul wrote the majority of our New Testament. I mean, God, as he was looking for someone to write Scripture for believers in our day, he chose Paul. And so Paul wrote so many of these words that we look at and that we base our lives upon. Paul was a powerful preacher. I mean, the book of Acts is filled with Paul preaching and riots breaking out. I mean, that, that may not be like the response that we want, that's still some powerful preaching when the whole city gets mad about it. Right? Paul preached and whole cities were saved. I mean, in one place, Paul had preached and shared the gospel and people had been saved so much that people who made idols were going out of business. There weren't enough people to buy the idols anymore because they had come to believe in Jesus. I mean, that's, 
That's a powerful dude. I mean, you think about that. And when I think of a guy like that sharing the gospel, I think he must have been confident. But I think he must have had an eloquent speech and just a manner about him that caused people to stop and look at what he had to say. But he was, I think of him like the, you know, some of the rock star pastors that, that go on CNN. That Larry King, he wants to interview a pastor. It was Paul. You know, those kind of guys. And then you read how Paul describes himself. And look at what he says in verse 1. When I came to you, I did not come with excellence of speech or wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. Paul didn't come with excellence of speech. Excellence of speech is like eloquence. Paul wasn't a a polished preacher. So think about Paul as perhaps a guy that as he spoke, he he had to stop and say, um, and then um, Jesus came and um, while he was here, um, he, he did some things. And um, one time he, he um, made a, uh, um, um, wait, wait, um, he, uh, he, he mooked some bread and he, he multiplied it and, and, and fed a lot of people. I think about Paul as a guy maybe talking like that. Or as someone who was, as he was talking, would lose his track and say, hold on a second, let me think about what I was going to say. But Paul didn't labor over his notes in such a way that he just had every word was perfect and precise. He wasn't an eloquent speaker at all by his own admission but not only was Paul not an eloquent speaker what we see in verse 3 is my favorite part of this passage I was with you in weakness in fear in much trembling think about that Paul who saw Jesus Paul who wrote scripture Paul who preached and multitudes were saved Paul, who performed great and wondrous miracles, spoke to the people in, in weakness. He spoke in, in fear and in much trembling. I think it would even be safe to say that some of the trembling that Paul had was not only maybe in his hands, but also in his voice. He was nervous as he tried to talk to them about Jesus. Now, I like that. You know why I like that? Because I understand everything Paul said in that particular passage. I know what it is to try to share Jesus in weakness. I think weakness for Paul, it meant an awareness of his own shortcomings. I think Paul understood he may not have been an eloquent preacher like Apollos was. I think Paul understood that he had a rough background. His life as a Pharisee was something that was a hindrance to him at times. He he understood who he was and what he had done and where he had been and And just Paul was very self-aware of his own shortcomings and his own flaws. That's why, like when he wrote to Timothy, he said, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am, what, chief. Weakness. Paul Paul didn't have any sort of mindset that he was perfect and better than everybody else. He understood he wasn't perfect. He understood his flaws. And if they were to try to accuse him of faults and failures in his past and maybe even in his present, They wouldn't have to make things up. He was aware of that. Fear. He was afraid. Fear was there as he tried to share the gospel with these people. Fear was there as he tried to talk to them about Jesus. And he couldn't control whether the trembling in his hands or the trembling in his voice. It was there because of the fear. I like that because, again, I I understand that. I feel that at times. And yet Paul did not allow these things to hold him back because Paul knew that 
that in the end, what made his preaching powerful, it wasn't the excellence of his speech. It wasn't his eloquence. It wasn't his confidence. It wasn't his perfect life and his expert delivery. What made his speech powerful, what made the gospel powerful was the Holy Spirit. And my speech and preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit, power that your faith would stand in God, stand not in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. When Paul preached, he depended on the power of the Holy Spirit. He knew that as he went in trembling, fear, and in weakness, the Holy Spirit would empower him to do what he could not do alone. And this is the great truth of Scripture, something we have to understand. I love, this is one of my favorite passages in all of the Bible. It said, but if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine into them. When we go out to share the gospel to people who don't know Jesus, their mind is veiled. Right? Many of the people we are going to talk to, they may have heard about Jesus at some point in their life, but they have a reason why they don't need Him. Now, it may be a completely made-up reason. Well, there was a Christian that was mean to me once, so Jesus can't be real. It could be a legitimate issue that they struggle with. How can all these religions be wrong except for Christianity? It could be a false interpretation of the Bible that they've been taught. It could be any number of things. But either way, they, there are reasons they do not believe in Jesus. Their mind is veiled. They are perishing. They are spiritually blind. And you and I, we can't overcome spiritual blindness on our own. Our eloquence, our wisdom from man, it'll never overcome spiritual blindness. Our the, the, we'll never just have just the right words that suddenly make it all click in our own power. We won't. No matter how much we want to, no matter how much we study, no matter how much we try, in our own power and in our own intelligence and in our own wisdom and in our own eloquence, it is never going to be enough to overcome spiritual blindness of an unbeliever. That's not a very encouraging thought for the day, is it? However, look at what Paul goes on to say. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. Let me just say again, what matters when we go out to overcome and deal with spiritual blindness is the message of Christ Jesus the Lord. And ourselves, your bondservants, for Jesus' sake. Now notice this part. For it is God who commanded light to shine out of the darkness, who has shown into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The idea of God that commands light to shine out of the darkness, it pictures the Old Testament in the, in the beginning of Genesis when there was, the world was without form and void and it was dark and God spoke and there was light. And it pictures that the God who spoke light in the darkness of Genesis is the one who speaks light to the darkness of man's heart and unbelieving minds. And he does this as we tell them about Jesus. The God who spoke light into the darkness then is the God who speaks light into the darkness now. And as we tell people about Jesus, God works powerfully through this, through His Holy Spirit. And He shines the light of the, God, of the knowledge of Jesus Christ into their hearts. See, He is the one that makes them realize that Jesus died for them. 
God is the one who makes them understand that their sin is serious and that they stand condemned before him. God is the one who makes them understand that Jesus is the savior of the world. and If they will repent of their sins and believe in Jesus Christ, they will be saved. But God only does this as we tell people about Jesus. As we tell people about Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit comes and he empowers us to clear our thinking, to empower our speech. And then he works through the gospel message that we present to work into their hearts, to work in their minds and help them to see their need for Jesus. And once he has convinced them of their sin, their lack of righteousness, the certainty of the judgment to come, he then shows them the Savior who will prevent all of that from happening to them. And then he leaves them with a choice. They will choose whether or not they will follow the Holy Spirit's conviction, surrender to Jesus Christ and be saved, or will they continue To push back against it. Important thing to understand. Everyone always responds to the gospel. No matter what. Every time the Bible is read. Every time the Bible is preached. Every time the gospel is shared. People respond. Some respond yes Lord. Some respond no Lord. Everybody always responds. And as we share the gospel. God the Holy Spirit works through us, in us, through us, for us, in them, through them, and for them, to help them see their need for Jesus, that they might be saved. And you and I, this is what we have to rely on. And we have to trust that the Holy Spirit will empower us. The Holy Spirit will make us able to help people come to know Jesus Christ. Because the temptation is to think, well, maybe if I just had the right words or if I just had the, the right thing or, or if I could out-argue them, if I could answer every question they have, the reality is, man, somebody can ask questions all day long. If you've ever been around a five-year-old, you know that there is no end to questions that people can come up with. Unbelievers who don't want to believe can do very, the very same thing. There will never in our own minds and our own intellect help them overcome all of those things. What we do is we tell them about Jesus and he work, God works through that to help them see their need for Jesus and to believe in Jesus. And even if we could, even if we could argue them into submission, so to speak, convince them that they must pray a prayer. And all things being equal, in all, in all reality, we have not helped them come to be saved. Because look at what Paul says in verse 5. That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men. If I out-argue them, or I pressure them to praying a prayer, they are depending more on the wisdom of men than on the power of God. A person's not really saved. One, one book I have had years ago, it talked about sharing the gospel. And it said that as you were sharing the gospel with someone, you asked them, after you talked to them, you said, would you like to accept Jesus as your Savior? And then you put your hand on your shoulder and you bow your head and close your eyes. And the reasoning for that was, it would exert significant psychological pressure. And they then would bow their head and close their eyes. And you, you stayed there as long as it took for them to bow their head and close your eyes. And then you led them in a prayer and had them pray after you. That's the wisdom of man and not the power of God. We can pressure people. That's why we're very careful in how we share the gospel with children. I mean, we don't want to say to kids, do you want to... Go to heaven with mommy and daddy or go to hell and burn forever. Right? What are they going to do? That's pressure. Psychological pressure. We can't do that. 
We tell them about Jesus. We trust in the Holy Spirit to bring them to repentance. And then we help them that way. But we have to share. God, the Holy Spirit, empowers you and I as we share the gospel. We actually have to share it. We actually have to say the words. And as we say the words, He makes the words powerful. And He uses them to turn them from darkness to light. This is what we we must do. We must trust the Holy Spirit will empower us. And as we go through this week, and as we go through this Christmas season, when we'll see family and probably friends and people that we don't always see that much, we'll have more opportunities. Here are some some things to do this week. Pray for opportunities to share the gospel. Just pray that this week God will give you an opportunity to share the gospel, not necessarily with a random stranger, but with a friend, a relative, an associate, or neighbor. You may even pick a specific person that's a burden on your heart. God, give me an opportunity to share the gospel with Fred this week. Just make a way. And then as you pray for it, look for the opportunities. Now, the opportunities sometimes are going to be obvious. I've had people come up and uh, one time pastor and I were coming out of the hospital and the lady backed out in her car and said, are you preachers? And we said, yeah. She said, I want to know how to be saved. <laughs> that's great, but that's not always going to happen. And other times it may be things like, gosh, holidays really depressed me. Why? There's an, there's an end. There's an opportunity. Right? We, we often see what we're looking for. If we look for opportunities, we'll find them. And then courageously take the opportunities to share the gospel. We don't often think about courage in, to be, go along with sharing the gospel. But the reality is most of us are afraid of sharing the gospel for one reason or another. Courage is really just doing what we know to be the right thing despite the fact that we're afraid. It takes courage to talk to someone about Jesus. It takes courage to begin that conversation and to see it through to the end. Paul was courageous in his weakness and his fear and his trembling to tell them about Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Let's be courageous this week, this month, to tell people about Jesus Christ and His crucified as the opportunities arise. Let's stand. So our music.